You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. Here we are with a post-Easter roundup. Yeah, this is like a hot take is what they're calling it these days. Is that what they call it? Yeah. We don't have time to actually think about what we're going to say. I can't think that there's a lot of podcasts out there doing a specific... Easter hot take? (laughs) Easter hot take. (laughs) Easter roundup. It's possible. This episode, we, we must admit, is like the third choice of what we were actually going to do today. Sure. And it's actually pretty good job on us. We'll pat our own backs for a second. It worked out. Because we are committed to putting content out there for all of you. That's right. We care about you because you're our listeners and we love you. So we're going to talk about Easter. Yeah. We hope you had a wonderful Easter. We hope you had a great time with your church family and with your family and those with whom you gathered. Yeah, whoever that may be, real family or just like, what do they call it? Friendsgiving. Is there an Easter version of the Friendsgiving? Valentine's Day. Freester. (laughs) (laughs) Valentine's Day. I think that's a little different. But well, let's tell people we originally were going. The plan was to interview our good friend, great friend of the pod, Joseph Victor Johnson the second. And let's be honest, he has the potential. We think he has what it takes to become a future co-host of the, the show. The third wheel. But he is constantly late. And backing out on us. This is true. He's like <laughs> that friend you invite and always can't come last minute. Yeah, that's true. Which is better than him coming and then saying he forgot his wallet after he ordered dinner. But we do love Joe, and that was plan A. That was plan A and plan B. He was plan A <laughs> last week. And then he had to cancel. And then he was plan B today, and then he had to cancel. So if you're listening to this, Joe. <laughs> but his plan, the reason he had to back out today is because he had a funeral, which I also had today, which my dad also had today. So it was like a day of funerals. That I'm is, actually, that I'm actually is here so, in my, sitting here in my funeral suit. I can vouch for that. Yeah. That is so just... It's got got to be disruptive for you coming out of Easter, and there's a certain level of exhaustion that comes with all of the things that you're trying to do as a pastor with Easter. And then I know Joe also had a funeral on the Saturday mm. between Good Friday and Sunday. I think yeah. they call it Holy Saturday. Yeah. So there's a funeral planned for that day, and then you just come out of the weekend and Tuesday funeral yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely... Disruptive is a word, but I wouldn't say that because it's part of the of the work. Or it's part of the like pastoral experience, right? Is to kind of be in that place where you, where stuff happens and and people die, you know, and mm. and life happens, and that is the pastoral calling, right? So disruptive in a way, in that like the focus is on Easter and and what's coming up but also like the joy and that sounds really cheesy but like the joy of doing pastoral work for us for me it was thursday night um the the lady in our church passed away and so i was able to spend some time it's actually a really cool experience this was a woman who's who was homebound for a long time and so she 
didn't ever actually make it to celebration, but um, her her friend did, and so we grew a relationship just through home visits over the last five or six years. The last time I visited her in her home was pre-pandemic, like immediate pre-pandemic. Wow. It was like late 2019, maybe early 2020, and she gave me a uh, a gift of a travel communion set. Have you ever seen these? It's in like a little I've case. I've never seen that. And you open it up, and it's got like a tray with six little communion cups, a little... Um, like know, a vial? A vial for the juice or wine, but we do juice, and a, uh, a little thing for the bread. And then this one came with a little thing that you could put oil in if you wanted to anoint somebody. But that's a little bit above my pay grade. It didn't quite get around to the anointing. Right, that gets to the Priestly Calling podcast, which is a different <laughs> podcast, I'm our, sure. Our brother podcast. I was not say sister podcast, but... <laughs> the, uh, uh, that's remarkable the way you describe that, and what a, what a sweet gift. Yeah, well, the crazy thing is, not crazy, but interesting thing is, I never was able to actually use it with her because she was very cautious throughout the pandemic up until... Thursday when she passed away, not wanting people into her home. She had a lot of um, medical stuff that kind of made her cautious. So I never actually got to use it. But when I got the call on Thursday night to come and spend time with her friends, I thought, this is this is it. So I brought it to her house on Thursday night, and we were able to share communion together, which was Monday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. So like all layers of significance. I think it was even Passover was Thursday night, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken. So is a really kind of special thing in the midst of getting ready for Easter. You know, that kind of Easter kind of tends to make a pastor full of themselves a little bit. Like it's such an important day and people are coming and it's like, this is the day of day. And you can think like, and I'm the one that's like making Easter You're the P.T. Barnum of it all. (laughs) This is me. Uh, but then you have something like this and you realize like when you're gathered with six people in a home sharing communion, like this is, this is the pastoral that's stuff. Where you know? That's yeah. where it's at. That's where it's at. That's so cool, that gift and then the chance you could use it in that setting and f- kind of framed around Easter yeah. um, with themes of death and resurrection mm-hmm. there the whole time. And um, I guess when I said it was disruptive, I... I want to redact that statement a little <laughs> bit now and say, well, from a human standpoint, like if you're just yeah. like looking at it humanly speaking, oh, you just like yeah. you just got through Easter and now you're yeah. tired. But but if you're a pastor who's prepared and focused, you know, spiritually present mm-hmm. for what's happening in that season and also what's happening in the life of your congregation, it's not disruptive. I can really see how that would be part of the rather the regular rhythm and then even maybe like enhance yeah what's going on in the events of the weekend yeah 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 definitely that enhanced because this was framed around like thursday was when she passed away so pre good friday and then tuesday was was the funeral though i will say that their original idea was to have the funeral on monday and i try to take the monday after easter off and so this was probably one of the only times where i redirected somebody's funeral plans because I knew that it it would be good for me to have a day of rest. And I knew it wasn't a, they could probably, the day wasn't super important to them, but, um, 
I did give myself that day of Monday to kind of recoup and there's some self-preservation yeah, that's happening exactly. in the midst of all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So how was Easter for you guys? I saw you on Friday night. You were at Celebration's uh, annual Ten Embrace yeah, service. Yeah, we love the Ten Embrace service. Maybe we'll say more about that in a minute. But um, the the Good Friday holiday for us really starts on the Thursday night where we make preparations for our Feast of Remembrance. It's mm. our annual, it's our annual uh, Good Friday meal, and we have people over to our house and we cook uh, roasted lamb, and we have a salad of bitter herbs, mm-hmm. and uh, we have unleavened bread, which is pita, <laughs> that we serve alongside, and then people bring dishes. So it's yeah. sort of like a potluck and sort of like a, a Seder meal. We're not trying to like culturally appropriate <laughs> the Jewish Seder meal, but there, but there are some references, right? There's yeah. some reference points around, um, around that deliverance from Egypt, mm. uh, biblically speaking, and how the the first Israelites observed that, the uh, it was really funny. I got to tell this story because I'm in Meyer on Thursday night, and I actually ran into your mom. Oh yeah, and your sister in town from. Uh, this is a great pastoral Seattle. ministry story, and I'm like, I'm just like in Meyer shopping mode, and I'm kind of in dad mode. You know, I've probably got a <laughs> flannel on and a hat or something, and just like collecting all the elements for the for the meal. And so up comes your mom, like, hi, Teresa, how are you doing? She says, you know, they're getting ready to, to do some errands and they're doing some shopping. And what have you got? You know, what are you buying for? And I said, well, it's our, like her good Friday meal. And she says, oh, is it like a Seder? And I said, well, it's kind of like a bastardized Seder. And she says, Shh, you can't say that about Easter. And I was like, you know, you're, you're probably right. You know, so there's Jim's like, pastor's, like my mom, yeah. pastor's wife, mom, <laughs> chiding me in the middle of Meyer. But uh, we we love this meal, and my... Um, You've been doing it for 10 years now? Uh, I think it's like 13 wow. years. Yeah. It might be... I, I always lose track. It's either 13 or 14. Yeah. Uh, we started it when we lived in the Blackburn House oh, on campus yeah. at Grace, and you were probably there. You are probably mm-hmm. part of that first mm-hmm. one. Um, and... Uh, you know, we had we had 35 people in the house, adults plus kids running all around, and um, it and it, it's a chance for us to invite, kind of, kind of unite the the clans from the three <laughs> communities that I talk about on here, like the Grace Christian University community, our neighbors, mm-hmm. um, it's our you know some of my students, some people from our gym mm-hmm. downtown at Eighth Day Gym. Uh, we had a, a good contingent of people from there, and then we also had uh, like members of our church mm. of Grace Bible Fellowship. So it's a, it's a way for us to gather like kind of all of those groups your ar- third spaces around that yeah. yeah around that event. And I think it's really meaningful for people. Mm-hmm. Um, the the year that we had covid and we didn't meet, we had little to go boxes and people would that. come and pick up a, t- a zero <laughs> contact uh, to go box with the elements in it. And it's it just like wasn't Grubhub Feast of Remembrance. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It probably wasn't approved by the health department. Yeah. The, they, had, they had bigger problems at that time. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> the, uh, and then last year, we had people in the, in the house, but it wasn't quite the yeah, same. People were still a little. Because, like, uh, you uh-huh. know, you don't really feel comfortable, like, being that close to people. Yeah. But now it was like, oh, we're, we are packed into the house, and it was really great to use the space that way. Yeah. That's great. That's always, I haven't been able to go for several years because just getting ready for, for Good Friday. But I, I appreciate the sim, 
the symbolism of the meal, but also the time of sharing that mm-hmm. you always give people a chance to share something they've been saved from, something they've been saved to. And I know for students, they, they love that. Like they really like to have that space where they see, I think like multiple generations. Right. And I think especially when your mom was alive and she would be there and uh, Michelle's parents, you know, who aren't the same age as your mom, but still like you have kind of all these generations all the way down to, to these little kids gathered together in this kind of chaotic yet ordered space, like really cool picture of, yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the nicest compliments we received and really touched me personally was, uh, one of the moms of the little kids said like, I feel so at home here. Mm. Like she could bring her kids and they could run all around. And we were like, don't worry about the spills. Don't worry about anything. Like, just like, here's where the kids can eat and they're welcome. And, and I think that affirmation that, cause I don't really think of myself as being all that good at hospitality, yeah. but opening up our home uh, to those different ages and, and getting that sense of welcome and togetherness. Yeah. Like that was really, that was really encouraging to me. Like, Oh, we're doing, we're doing a good thing. Here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something you guys probably over at Grace Bible Fellowship and certainly we at Celebration kind of try to process through in that we really value being a multi-generational church. And on a Sunday morning, sometimes that creates some difficulties. Like this Sunday, um, we we had church in the round. I'm sure, again, Because we'll he didn't want to move the chairs. <laughs> That's it. So Good Friday, we do it in the round. Uh, and then it was a combination of not wanting to move the chairs and also thinking this might be kind of a cool, different thing to do. And so we did it in the round. Um, and so the combination of that, everybody looking at each other and keeping half of our kids in with us for the service, we didn't do children's church like normal, meant I'm preaching in the round, which was a little bit different for me. And then there's like kids coloring and dropping crayons and all of that stuff. And so it's that combination of finding, making people feel comfortable and at home. And like, I, I will trade that any day for people being able to hear every word that I'm saying, right? I'm, I think it's more important for us to be gathered together as a community and parents only be able to catch half of what's going on in the sermon than anything I can say, you know? Despite how, how highly I value the sermon and all of that, there's, there's I think, huge value in that gathering and the, the kind of controlled chaos that that is. So you really liked the round. I did. Yeah, yeah. I I I don't think we're going to keep it because we do Awana in that same room. And so every week setting it up would be a little bit over the top. But maybe in the summer we'll keep it when we're not having to take chairs down every week for Awana. That's cool. And with the Tenebrae Sermonists, you guys had a like a lot of sound tech going on yeah. to try to make that happen. Because you had instruments and you had readers mm-hmm. and you had mm-hmm. wireless mics in the mm-hmm. middle of the room. Yeah. Yeah, so our Tenebrae service, for those who, who may not know what it is, it comes from a very traditional liturgical service, which is just a service of darkness, where in many churches that do it, it's just essentially you have seven or eight candles, and you read scripture, and throughout the evening, those candles are extinguished until the last candle is extinguished. Our service has kind of evolved over the last 15 years since we started doing it, to become uh, a pretty experiential type thing where everything about the service from when you come in, you come in into a place 
where we have a sign that says enter in silence. And so you're entering into in silence. You're entering into a room that's set up differently and that we're in the round. And it's kind of like ticking all the boxes in your mind that like something's different about what we're about to do and what we're about to experience. And throughout in the center of the room and kind of spread throughout are just candles, oodles of candles. I tell people the the aesthetic we're going for is uh, Nirvana unplugged. You know, yeah, very nice, yeah, good choice. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe. Uh, Maybe so, a couch. <laughs> yeah, good to get a couch up there. Yeah, get a red, white, and blue guitar. We could do lots of things. It's a Pat Smear reference there for those keeping track at home. Um, and so yeah, you our service rather than having seven candles, we have like I don't know forty candles. Oh, at least yeah. And and the service is all scripture. It's about forty five minutes of scripture, prophets, psalms, and then mostly the gospel narratives, kind of interspliced. It's like a harmonizing of of Jesus's last. You wouldn't night. call it a bastardization. <laughs> I'd call it a harmonization. Oh, okay, Matthew. that's probably better. And so would my mom. <laughs> um, and so essentially, the scriptures just take you through from the Last Supper and then through some of the prophecies of, you know, I'm not a man, but I'm a dog and all of that that stuff, and then into the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. And as the night goes, we're, we're singing a few songs in there, but we're mostly kind of leading ourselves to the cross and the, light, the candles go out as the service goes until you essentially have seven candles left, which are the seven last words of Christ. One of the cool things about our space at Celebration which I hate for 364 days out of the year, is that there's no natural light. I would love for our church to have windows so that when we're worshiping together, there's some connection to the real world, right? The terra firma. But on this particular night, why is this night like all the rest? Because Jim likes that there's no windows. <laughs> for this it's a good night, cultural appropriation. <laughs> for this night, it's great because as the candles go out, the room is pure, purely dark. Um, it was real dark this yeah, year. Yeah, it was. And the seven last candles are extinguished as we read the seven final words of Christ, so the seven last sayings that he offers from from the cross uh, until the last one where it says, it is finished, and then we, we extinguish that final candle. So it's always a really powerful service experientially because you see the light going out of the world. Like you you physically see in the way that we will never be able to, not having lived in the first century, we see that kind of processing of, of the death of, of Christ. And there's some good references in the scripture text that you have about the light of the world yeah. and, and like Jesus saying, this is your hour when darkness reigns. Yes. And so that's when things start going mm-hmm. darker in the service. It's paced really, really well. And you guys have perfected that Maybe you're always looking for ways to improve, yeah. but the the cadence of that darkening is is really one of the most powerful aspects. Yeah. You had a communion service in there as yeah, well. Yeah, we do communion in so there. So kind as of well. a Last yeah. Supper reference. Mm-hmm. I was afraid you're going to run out of communion elements. We almost did. We had to redirect people to the table. So we did this in partnership with. We invite all the churches. We invited your church and we invited Rush Creek, which is the uh, the the big Grace Church. It's like the superstar destroyer. <laughs> If all our churches are star destroyers. What is Cameron then? Pastor Cam would be Grand Moff Tarkin. One of the admirals. Yeah. 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 Um, 
I love that he'll be listening to this. I hope he will be. Um, yeah, so they, they're a bigger church than us, and so they brought probably half to two-thirds of the people, but we had, I don't know, close to 300 people in there, which is a lot of people in celebration. But it was just cool. It's cool to be kind of packed into a place and all there silent, and I told everyone to turn their phones off, um, which was, I think, a really important thing to do. But yeah, and you leave that service and you leave in darkness. And, and the point is to leave physically in darkness. You go out into the dusk, you know, the sun is almost setting. But also we, we want us to all leave in a sort of spiritual darkness as well, because the point of the service is to get in on the story, right? To, to kind of liturgically embrace the actions of the death of Jesus. And so we want people to leave so that when we come back on Sunday, like the starkness is is palpable between the dark that we left and the bright light that we come back to on Sunday morning. So Yeah, that's really great. And and um my kids love it. Uh my my daughter who's fifteen, um the kids did not get the day off of school mm-hmm. this particular year because a lot of times Easter leads up to spring right. break, and so they'll get that as a day off or a half day. But they had school, and she like intentionally skipped school, missed mm. projects, presentations, quizzes, so that she could do Feast of Remembrance mm. on Friday and be really present all weekend. I got to say, like there was this moment like at in the Tenebrae service where um, all the lights had gone out, and, you know, you sit in silence, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got a seven-year-old yeah. who says, Mom, Mom, what are we doing? <laughs> no one's moving because no one wants to be the first least spiritual yeah. person yeah, to yeah, leave yeah, the yeah. room. You also know when you leave the room, that natural light is going to flood uh-huh. in through those doors. Uh, we're just sitting in silence. But I had this, like, I had this moment where I, um, I still had, like, lamb smell on mm. my fingers from the food that mm. day. And I'd wash my hands, but... Yeah but not enough to get all of the lamb and all of the lemon juice and all of the vinegar off my hands. And so like there was this in darkness, this multi-sensory experience of the whole day. It was really powerful. It was really overwhelming just for a moment. And then I became aware of it and then it was gone. But it was, it was the most multi-sensory experience of Good Friday, even though we use all the senses all the time. Yeah in that concentrated in that moment, it was, it was like a religious experience. Yeah. yeah, That's awesome. That, that's really cool. And it preps us, right? The goal is to prep mm. for, for Easter. So what was Easter like in Loverin land? Well, for Loverins, it's not just Easter. It's, we do something on Saturday. Oh, do you? So while Joe Johnson's doing funerals, <laughs> um, we, we practice with uh, Eighth Day Gym. Mm. Uh, we have the opportunity to do a passion workout. And so this year, um, we only had about 15 people gather because it was, it was cold. Yeah. And then we also had a, a bit of unrest in the city that I think both right. of those things made people a little bit reluctant to come and spend time just downtown. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had a, a good gathering of people. We practiced this workout. It, there's, some, there's a reading um, that we all shared. So there's, we're reading together. Uh, there's a brief video that we show that kind of orients you toward what we're doing. And then the, the workout, it's not really a workout, it's more of a reflective experience mm. where uh, we use the jump ropes and we do uh, 100 jumps, 
it's a chance for me to talk about yeah. CrossFit Bring on the on. on the Pastoral Calling podcast. I'll go get my Reeboks on. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, so you do 100 double unders. That's to, like two passes of the rope under your feet. And it's like notoriously a difficult movement mm-hmm. for a lot of people. So you end up whipping your legs a lot. Yeah. And so there's this experience of, and we do those in silence after a three-minute silent prayer Mm -hmm. and then the jump ropes start and all you hear is the whipping so there's an orientation toward the suffering of christ uh and the scourging and then you carry a barbell on your back about 800 meters Mm. so uh that's roughly the distance of the via dolorosa Mm. and um it's it's a significant weight the weight's meant to be roughly speaking the same weight as the cross member of the cross that Mm. jesus would have carried and that, um, like, it's enough. <laughs> it, it's enough. And, and walking through the, the streets uh, of Grand Rapids in the cold and yeah. the wind and the snow yeah, that so was happening. you're not, like, walking in an indoor track. No, no, like no. It, there was wind, and it was cold, yeah. and it was challenging for people. It's always challenging. Um, and, and so there's no, there's no actual pain that's involved mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, there's there's awareness of the burden that Christ is carrying. And then when we come back into the building, uh, we do 100 burpees. So you do chest to ground, like the bottom of a push-up, and then mm-hmm. you jump up and clap with your hands over your head. And that is to symbolize death and resurrection. Mm. So the first portion of the workout's in silence, very meditative. You come in, and then we've got like Easter, like resurrection worship songs playing, which never happens at Eighth Day Gym, yeah. except on this one day. Yeah. And uh, you do these 100 burpees, which is suffering in its own right, but also celebration. And then the key is that no one finishes alone. Mm. So if you're one of the athletic or fit people who finishes their burpees early, then you come alongside and you finish with someone else. And then everyone finishes alongside someone else. And then everyone finishes together at the end. And it's really a joyful celebration. So the trick is to go slow. So you only have to do 100. Yeah, if you time it right, that's that's a good plan. <laughs> that's cool. I, I've heard you, do, you guys have done that. How is that? I mean, Eighth Day is not a Christian gym. No, nope, not a, explicitly. Yeah. So how does that, you just kind of word of mouth, we're going to do this? Yeah, and... uh, Joe, the owner, is very generous with yeah. the space to allow us to use the space, and, and we're very grateful to him and appreciative. Uh, he's always there. He's yeah. always like on the edge, yeah. kind of yeah. peeking in, yeah. like, hey, Joe, come and join us. But... <laughs> Uh, we're grateful to him just for the use of the space, and um, he he likes things that bring the community together, yeah. whatever portion of the community yeah. that might be. And so it's an opportunity for people of faith to have this experience, but mm. it's also an opportunity for people who might not mm. be part of a faith tradition or a community to come and experience something that's totally different. Yeah. So I guess you could say... Like, Evangelism it's, it's via e- burpee. It's evangelistic in that way, only in the sense that we're announcing the good news yeah. for the sake of announcing it, yeah. not trying to get people to join our church. Yeah, yeah. You know, which maybe it's a little bit more yeah, it's a, um, authentic in that way. It's a proclamation of community. Right. You know, like, right. this is who we are. We're people who celebrate the foolishness of the cross. And just like it's wonderful to to do, to use our senses, like in those Good Friday meal elements or in communion elements or in light and shadow... Uh, the the way that we use time and space and and fire to to communicate all these important truths, like moving our bodies, yeah, is, is an important dimension of who we are as humans. And so 
I think the fact that our that our bodies become a regular part of our worship on that Saturday yeah. is really powerful. Yeah, which is interesting because the concept of that Saturday is that's the Saturday when Jesus's body was still, you know. Yeah, Yet for sure. On that day, your body is active, and, and only because we're on the other side of it, right? We're on the other side of the tomb. Do you ever? This this is maybe a little bit transgressive, but do you ever like? Do you have a moment like after Tenebrae service where you're like in that darkness and you're like, well, if Jesus is dead, do you ever, is there like a moment of identification mm. with the disciples where like, well, you know, Peter says, I'm just going to go fishing. I'm just yeah. going to go back to be yeah. who I was before. And you just like get really nihilistic and you turn on the episode episodes of The Office or something like that <laughs> so that, you know. I mean, that I I want that to be the case. Like... That disruption, that yeah, jarring. Yeah, because I think that's the whole point of like, of experiencing Good Friday is to experience that, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what is the point now that that he's dead? My my sermon on on Easter was a reflection on when when the women run back in Luke, when the women run back and explain to them what they just saw, it says they didn't believe the women because their words sounded like nonsense to them, which I don't think is a statement of them just not being able to speak clearly and slowly enough. I think that in the depth of the darkness that they found themselves in, this idea of light did seem like nonsense. It they did couldn't believe seem, it. They couldn't, yeah, they had no point of reference for where could this come from, even though they should have, right? But, and so I, I, that's kind of the point to me of, of that Good Friday. And honestly, the whole point of if, if people decide to practice the season of Lent, like that, that as well kind of leads up to that. And I'm a, um, how do I say it? I'm, I'm in no way a fierce supporter of Lent, but every year I, I observe it in some way or another, um, just as a way of spending 40 days of preparing myself for Easter. I think this year, more than any other year, there was never a point in the last seven weeks where I didn't know where I was in relation to Easter. And maybe this is just a culmination of doing this for the last 15 or 20 years, that like finally it's starting to sink in, like the repeated action. But I remember before this was part of my, my routine, Palm Sunday would always sneak up on me. Like I'd always like be, oh shoot, it's Palm Sunday. I need to do something. And then, oh yeah, Easter's coming. And there's just kind of like, oh, here it is. And when that happens, the the ability to have a meaningful reflection on Easter and Palm Sunday and Good Friday is impossible, right? Because it's just like a thing you have to do because it happens to fall on that day. But for me, this year, um, it, it doing practicing Lent and just being constantly aware of where we're really kind of brought me into that space of, of darkness, of taking off, of, of reflecting on the need for salvation in order to fully appreciate that. And that really culminated with that Good Friday service and that what do we do and where do we go from here? It seems like what you're describing is like a, like a, a thickening of the pastoral practice mm. around the the year. Yes. And in your and in your preaching, it is preaching, but it's also pastoring in that you're I mean, I made a I made like a PT Barnum joke earlier, <laughs> but but you're like you're the conductor yeah. of this community yeah. and you're trying to orient the community toward these spiritual realities. 
And some of that's dramatic, yeah. right? And some of that's performative, and some of that is musical, and some yeah. of that's, you know, just the reading of scripture. But but you're talking about orienting yourself mm-hmm. personally more towards all of those things mm-hmm. so that you can be a more effective conductor yeah. of that sacred time, sacred space. Yeah. And I think maybe what it is, just even as you're saying this, I'm I'm thinking maybe what has kind of started to make it stick for me is that I'm not I don't just recognize Lent, but I tune my whole preaching calendar around the Christian year. You know, and so it's it's the seasons of Advent and Lent and ordinary time and the festivals that pop up and and again, if if you've never been to celebration, you probably are getting the wrong idea just from me talking about this. You you probably wouldn't know other it's not than Catholic light. Yeah, other than a few colored banners we have around, you wouldn't know that this is part of at least my preparation and my reflection. But for me, it has been shaping and, and kind of reorienting my schedule and my rhythm around the church calendar rather than when is Memorial Day, when is Fourth of July, when's Labor Day, you know? And that's been really significant. And so, yeah, maybe it's just that, kind of that combination of all those things coming together. You've really settled into that yeah. rhythm around the Christian calendar as opposed to the yeah. the secular yeah. calendar. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, Easter for us was, it was great. Our church um, was really full. It was awesome to have mm-hmm. lots and lots of guests. Mm-hmm. Family members came, and and, you know, that feeling of, uh, like this room is full. That yeah. was a really great feeling because I think most everyone who could come did. Yeah. And uh, we had a special guest from uh, Costa Rica, actually. Oh, yeah. Alejandro uh, Gonzalez was trying to, uh, well, we're trying to get him emigrated uh, mm-hmm. on a religious workers visa to mm-hmm. come and be uh, essentially a, a Spanish outreach pastor and worship pastor. And uh, we brought him up just for Easter. We yeah. checked his schedule, and he had an opening. Things were closed in Costa Rica because of Holy Week, and so he had availability. His family said go, and so he came from Thursday through Monday, and so he was able to lead worship with us and sing with us, and you know our, our worship team was really full yeah. feeling, and so there was lots of sound, and um, uh, Easter breakfast, yeah. you know, is a great tradition at our church that you got to show up, and we still are not quite to the point of buying enough food. And <laughs> I've had this thing with my church for 10 years, and it's like, when will Jesus multiply the eggs, you know, as opposed to just the bread and the fish? That's, uh, that's an apocryphal story, right? <laughs> yes. Jesus at the Easter breakfast multiplies the pancakes and sausage. And ham. For the Gentiles. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that's very similar to our experience too. Is like it was there was just a lot of energy at the church, more so, more so than maybe any other Easter that I've experienced. I don't know why. Maybe it's like again, kind of the we didn't get Easter in 2020 and 2021. We were still like, are we supposed to be doing this kind of thing? And like this was like full blown. Like, let's do it. Let's go on. For me, particularly, it was a great Sunday because. Easter 2020, I was in a room by myself with a video camera. Easter 2021, equally good news that the birth of William Eugene James Shamaria happened at like four in the morning on Easter, but that meant I didn't get to do 
Easter Sunday at the church because so you were, we were checked out at that point. Yeah. Well, we had the baby on Easter. So I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, you weren't there. I was not there. Physically or <laughs> <Are> mentally. They... <laughs> yes. So this year was like the first... It's a good excuse. The first in three years that I actually got to do Easter. Mm, so you were amped up for that. I was. And it's weird because I tend to lean on the side of preaching an Easter sermon is too... Um, there's too much... Like, we make it a bigger deal than it is, right? It It is just a sermon, but it's not... You don't need to feel the pressure to, like, preach the whole Easter sermon or the whole Easter whatever, because you're going to do this every year if you're pastoring a church. And so just, like, to some way, treat it like a normal Sunday. You're not Ken, Ken Griffey Jr. The bases aren't loaded. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Though I did turn my hat backwards just for that sermon. So, like, that's usually my vibe is, like, just, you know, it's a sermon. I'm, it's It's Easter, but it's just a sermon. For this year, I was, like, very excited about Easter, like, and I just came in with a lot of, I don't know, I was really looking forward to it, and and because our room was set up in the round still, I think that same sort of, like, the way that it turned people's attention towards Good Friday in a way of, like, oh, this is different, this is solemn, it did the opposite thing on Sunday morning when they come in, and it's like, oh, this is different, this is exciting, you know, and so it was kind of a cool kind of parallelism there. Um, it's like a Kanye Sunday service. <laughs> yeah, and I actually sold some sweatshirts for seventy five dollars. I thought might as well go in, go all in. Um, but yeah, so it was yeah, just a lot of fun energy in the room, um, in not a showy way, but in a just like a communal way. Like we were there because we wanted to be part of Celebration Bible Church, worshiping together on Easter, not. For any other reason. Yeah, when you cool. share that kind of track history of the last two years prior, I wonder how many people experience something similar. Yeah. Like, Easter's back, yeah. baby. <laughs> Why didn't we make that t-shirt? We could have sold that as the $75. But that's like the... Still can. It, well, you couldn't, because as soon as you sell it on Easter, Easter's over. It's like, you can never wear... If someone gives you Christmas pajamas on Christmas... You can't wear them anymore. Any other day. Because Christmas is over. Yeah. Like, you can wear them in the month leading up to Christmas, but after that. But anyways, it was a it was a really good Sunday. And I, we left and went back to the McGillicuddy household and enjoyed a, a brunch or a liner, depending on, on where you're from. What's there. the signature dish, like meat item of a shamaria mcgillicuddy well easter dinner usually it's ham because we're you know like every other person but this year we decided to go with the brunch and so there was several quiches Ooh. there was a nice hash there was a kale salad there was some asparagus uh there was there were some good things lacy mcgillicuddy made a lemon meringue pie a scratch lemon meringue pie i bet that was phenomenal it was really she's good. a good baker it was really good so that was uh it was a nice a nice meal. So what'd we you had get? we had standard ham. So you go lamb on Friday, ham on Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And uh pineapple. Oh yeah. With like the baked in the juice yeah, type of pineapple. Yeah, yeah. Uh one of as long as we're talking about sensory experiences, one of uh my daughter's least favorite sensory experiences is when grandma gets out the uh the electric knife to cut the ham <laughs> on Easter morning. 
And uh, so you have this like this baked ham, and you're like, and it's like then the yeah. then the knife hits the side of the pan and kind of vibrates the yeah. whole thing. She made herself scarce, <laughs> got out of the house before she could hear that sound. Well, All the sensory experiences of Easter. That's uh, what it takes to get yourself a nice uh, a nice hawk. We had a little we had a little egg hunt. Yeah, we you did know, an egg hunt too. The kids' egg hunt. Yeah, it was my, always fun. My in-laws were in town. My my wife's dad and his wife were there, so they they enjoyed that. And we we dropped a couple hints, and Papa Kelly threw ten bucks into the golden egg. So Isla was pretty oh, yeah. pumped. She oh, came yeah. running into the room with a five dollar bill in each hand. It was. I remember my my Easter gift was like a three dollar Lego set, and I was pumped about that. So we spoiled these children. Yeah, don't get me started on how Easter's out of control with the consumerism and the sugar, but... Isn't that interesting, though? Peterson talks in one of his books, points out how culture has not been able to monetize Easter in the same way that it has for Christmas, but more and more... They try. They're starting to, and they're trying to, but I think it's the the death. Like, mm. there's, a, there's a strong element of death in Easter that it's it's much more difficult to promote that than it is Christmas. You have for, to come up with know? something crazy like yeah. rabbits laying Cadbury cream <laughs> eggs. Yeah, are you a Cadbury cream egg guy? No, I mean, I used to be, but... I didn't eat one. I usually eat one a year. My, I gave I gave one to my, each of my kids so they could have the experience. You got any more in your house? No, I only bought four. Man, I got to see if I can track one down. I usually I usually do one a year. My I teeth hurt just thinking about biting into one. I don't even know what the inside is. But yeah. somehow it's two s- distinct colors, right? Yep. Somehow they have a white and Just a like yellow. a real egg <laughs> that you would bite into. Oh. Well, I hope you friends enjoyed our Easter re- our Easter hot take. Easter recap. Yep. And uh we we will uh be back shortly with another interview. That's that's next on the list. And we have some great guests lined up. But we're not going to tell you because last time we laid out a list of guests, we shut down for two years. So we're going to keep these close to our Do chest. we still have that list? I'm sure we do. We should go back and I'm listen sure to could, it. We could peel it out somewhere. So happy ha- Easter, everyone. Hope happy, you had a great yep, happy season Sunday. After and we will talk with you soon. Yeah, hopefully in two weeks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation. Mm-hmm.